Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-hosts, Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, and Bill Baben from an organization known as Chessie Cap. We're broadcasting from George Mason University School of Business. And Mark, can you give us a rundown on who we have on the air with us today? Yes, we do. Today, we have Virgil Verga, president and co-founder of Metronome, Jenna Alexa, president of Dignari, Jeremy Lundberg, CEO, and Raja Venkata, Director of Client Services for Ethos CE Learning Management Systems, and Edgar Doby, Executive Director of Arena Stage. Excellent. Let's get to know our first guest, Virgil Verga, President and Co-Founder of Metronome. Virgil, what is Metronome? What are you guys doing? We provide services to the Intel community, the federal government, professional services. Mm -hmm. How large or how small is the team? We're about 175 employees right now. And where are you from originally? I'm from North Miami Beach, Florida. And how many brothers and sisters? The middle of five. All right. So what was going on with you about 10 years old or so? Sure. That was really when I started to get to know myself. We moved from Miami, where we weren't allowed to leave our front yard, to rural Broward County, where we could leave all night and not have to come back, even when it was dark. Tell me more about how you got to know yourself when you moved. It was it, around that time, my brother, who was five years older and a mentor, he was off becoming a teenager. So I had more time to myself and being able to roam, you know, through the Everglades and canals and literally catching alligators and going three, three wheeling through the mangrove swamps and watching some crazy guys bite the tops off glass bottles. Mm-hmm. It, it, it gave me a perspective of knowing that I have the ability to choose what I want to do, how I want to do it, when I want to do it and who I want to do it with. Well, what's that have to do with building this organization, which is now, I think you mentioned it was 175 people and you're a co-founder. What did you learn at 10 that you're using nowadays? Well, in the company and being the owner for myself, it's always been hard throughout my life to answer to authority. And I like that time alone. I like being able to be off by myself and create. And within the company, my role is I have all the autonomy that I need. I'm able to create. I'm able to bring ideas and new things into the company and mm-hmm. see how it shakes out, and mm-hmm. I don't have to complete it. Mark? So what was your role in a group of friends growing up? Sure. I would say that I played a role of a almost a change agent in a sense. I was a guy who would wear something different or play a, a new band or, or um, mm. a new idea for something for us to do, and folks would look at me strange, but you know, nine months or a year later, they'd be listening to those bands. How big was the group? It was probably pushing 15 or so, but now I still have probably eight or 10 of those friends. Mm-hmm. We're still real close. 15 is almost like a small company. <laughs> it sure is. Um, who plays the role of uh, change maker and, and trendsetter in your company? Well, coincidentally, that happens to be myself. Okay. And you also have to have long-term friends. I mean, these are friends... You have half the friends now that you had then. That's, that's amazing that you've maintained those relationships. What's that have to do with your building the business? I've got friends and wives and folks that I've known for 15 years that work at the company for us that, that helped, you know, the beginning charter of the company. You're all about relationships. Mark, didn't you have some question about a film what, or something? Uh, what was your favorite film growing up? It, one of them was Stand By Me, without a doubt. How so? But what did it struck you about that? There was a group of friends that were about my age at that time, and they went off without their parents, and they had an adventure, and they got to make the decisions they want to make, and you know, and either suffer or uh, be happy with uh, uh, the consequences. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the film recently? Uh, it's probably been about five years. Mm-hmm. I could recite the whole <laughs> thing now. <laughs> Bill, what are you thinking? Uh, so, Virgil, you, you mentioned uh, that you, uh, you wrestled and had a very influential wrestling coach when you were, when you were young. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Coach Brian Smith, he's currently at Missouri. He's been there for 20 years, and he's cranked out national champs and world champs in wrestling. And I was lucky enough to have him for a couple of years in high school, and he taught us what it was like to suffer. What do you mean by suffer? 
essentially to push yourself to a place where you never thought you could go physically and then what success you get from putting yourself through that and, and how did that how did that help you today well there's a lot of business owners in this room and i wake up some oh, here actually three months into starting the company i realized what a panic attack was tell me about that i was laying in bed and i couldn't fall asleep and my wife had been asleep and my chest started fluttering. I wonder what was going on. And I realized what my brother, who's also an entrepreneur, was telling me about several years back. And how did wrestling help you with that? I always push through. When you're, when you're out of bounds, you sprint back to the center of the mat. Mm-hmm. How about, you mentioned uh, when you were a kid, you started working at a young age. How young were you and what were you doing? I was lucky. My father was an entrepreneur, a small business owner, as well as his father before him. And we were always in the flower shop, whatever my dad had for us to do from cutting flowers and stripping roses, making arrangements, um, uh, uh, gift baskets. Did you, so you were five years old when you started doing this? Absolutely. And you did it until how old? Uh, right around high school when I got a little too busy. Well, d- didn't that stink though? Your friends are out playing when you're 11, 12, 13, 14 and your father's making you work? It did. I talk about it all the time. When we weren't working in the flower shop, it was projects around the house all weekend long. There was no playing. There was no sleeping. You were up and you were working. So you, <laughs> you learned about work as a, as a young kid. Hard work. My dad left the house before we were up, and he got home around 7.30 or 8, and he did that six days a week our entire life. And a lot of times he would do it on the seventh day. So it's, it's not really a wonder why you ended up this way, is it? It's not, though, if you would have asked me when I was younger if I would have saw myself doing this, I didn't at all. What are you talking about? What do you mean? I was a late bloomer. I didn't go to college. I, uh, I screwed off quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, in my late, in my mid-20s, I decided to become more responsible, though I just thought I was going to end up where I was going to end up. So what, uh, who's your partner? My partner is my wife. Uh, is your, is your, so what, 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 what was the turning point? For myself? Yeah. I was driving east on 595. I was 24 years old, and I just left a, an awful interview to sell f- fake paintings out of the back of my car. Yeah. And I said, I'm either going to turn right and go home and go look for another job waiting tables that I had done for, I still did for 15 years, or I made a left and I ended up going to the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale, literally at that moment, and I signed up and I took radio and TV classes. I was on radio for about a year, and then that taught me what it was like to do something that I loved. And then I had an opportunity to go make recruiting calls for my brother around that time, and, and that's when I realized that business and sales isn't evil. It's amazing. You can make of it what you want. So wait a minute. You had a turning point when you were about 10. Were you, your words were you got to know yourself. Thank you. And I guess when you do at the stage of 24, it sounds to me like at that point in time, you got to figure out not necessarily who you were, but you figured out what really turned you on. Yes. So you hadn't been exposed to this stuff previously. Not at all. So what, when you found out so what was it you found out? You found out you liked sales or what did you find out? When I started working with my brother, I realized that in sales, you have to be extremely creative and you're selling something to somebody only if they want it. So you, you, you're not rotten if you're a salesperson. Exactly. And you wanted to make, ah, I see. So you wanted to make sure whatever you were doing was ethical and good. Yes. And you realized finally that sales wasn't a bad thing and neither was business. Not at all. I see. What else are you guys thinking? So you said you've had some transformations over your life. Would your siblings recognize you now based on what they, how they knew you as a 10-year-old? Yes. There's, in terms of my personality, how I approach people, how I talk, the way that I think, I think is identical to the way I was when I was younger. Uh, you know, they called me a dirty verge or crazy verge. Um, I heard those terms a lot. And, I, you know, granted, they're sort of different nicknames now, but I still have that, you know, the fun side of me, and, and I don't like a lot of structure, um, though I know now that within that discipline is really what ends up setting me free. Mm-hmm. So when I'm on the other side of the structure is when, I'm, when it's already implemented is when mm-hmm. I'm feeling really where I can be the best version I can be. Mm-hmm. So you like completing stuff. I'm smiling, you can't see that right now. Yes, though I like completing things with a team. What do you mean? What are you talking about there? I play a role of the idea, 
the bringing the folks together, the right folks, getting the right people in the room that can do the job and motivating them to do it. And by the time we're halfway through that, I'm ready to move off. Isn't that what your relationship with your wife is in this business? It absolutely is. What do you mean? She is our CFO mm-hmm. and our CEO, mm-hmm. and she's behind the scenes, and she makes everything work from that angle. And I get to be out in front of the scenes, bring in the ideas and the change, and she drives it all forward for me. Uh-huh. So basically, if it wasn't for your wife, you know, I don't know if you'd have a successful business. Is that fair? It's not only fair, it's without a doubt. It's, it's, it's uh, emphatically true. What is? We're an amazing team. My, I come from a big Italian family. It's all about family. My wife happens to be Italian as well. And to us, it's about working together. It's about raising amazing children. It's about being the best husband. It's about being the best wife. And it's about being the best business owners and making decisions that are, that are the best decisions for the company, not necessarily for her or for me. And what I tell people a lot is this. You, if you have a partner, you guys leave and you go to separate houses. We go home and we figure out what the solution is. Got you. What's the website address for Metronome? Wearemetronome.com. Let me have that one more time. Wearemetronome.com. And we've been speaking with Virgil Verga, president and co-founder of Metronome here on Executive Leaders Radio. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name and organization is? Lauren Bell, CEO of Whistle. And what is Whistle? Whistle is an app that provides personalized product recall and safety information. Uh, whose idea was this? It was mine. And how young were you when you were getting ideas? I was six. I had Lauren's Lemonade. My business partner wanted to charge 25 cents a cup, and I said, no way, pay what you want, and some people would give us $20. Oh, my gosh. So you understood from a young age about coming up with business-related ideas and unconventional business ideas, and as opposed to charging 25 cents, you told people to pay whatever they wanted, and some people gave you more. Yep, I learned to read people at a young age. You learned... That's interesting. I thought you were, I thought it was you understood business strategy, but you learned how to read people. What do you mean by that? I knew that I had a big smile and no teeth, and I knew I could get people to do what I wanted. So this idea about Whistle, how did it come about? So I was a former federal prosecutor, and I realized that the government wasn't getting safety information to people, so I decided to do it myself. Wow. And how long ago did you start this business? Uh, About six months. Uh huh. And what are you enjoying about running your own business? I love the wearing many hats. I've learned social media marketing, accounting, um, very different from being a prosecutor. Wow. And you're doing this full time now? That's right. Wasn't it frightening, like leaving your full time prosecutor salary and benefits and security? It was terrifying. Behind? And talking to the press, it's the opposite of what you do as a prosecutor, but uh, just taking each challenge as it comes. What do you mean talking to the press is opposite of what you do as a prosecutor? Well, when you're doing criminal investigations, you're trying to take the attention away from yourself and when you're starting an app you're trying to draw it to you oh my gosh boy you you really have guts don't you yep <laughs> uh, and four kids to boot <laughs> <laughs> what's the website address for whistle whystle.org let me have that one more time whystle.org and we've been speaking with lauren bell ceo of whistle here on executive leaders radio and your name and organization is Kristen Mitchell, Senior Director of Individual Giving at Arena Stage. And what do you do for a living there? I do fundraising, raising uh, support for the theater. All righty. And um, how do you go about doing that? What's involved in doing that? Everything from direct mail, online outreach, um, to meeting one-on-one with donors. So what's the key to that? What's the key to being able to raise money for this organization known as Arena Stage? Figuring out what drives people and how that matches with our mission and our needs. Mm -hmm. How young were you when you were doing that? Uh, As long as I can remember, have always been an observant uh, person. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Uh, People thought I was shy growing up um, Mm -hmm. because I wouldn't talk as much uh, starting out, but I was kind of reading the room and getting to know what was going on before engaging. What, 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 what does reading the room and, uh, and observing have to do with raising money? I'm trying to figure that out. It's uh, the whole, whole thing. Um, you gotta figure out, listen to people and, and hear what their interests are. And um, you can't kind of make that connection if you don't hear them well. What, what, what kind of, uh, what were you, did you say you were playing piano when you were a kid? I started playing piano when I was nine years old. Uh-huh. So you were like an individual kind of kid, a little keeping to yourself a little bit, but just observing everything. 
Exactly. Uh huh. So when people come to the theater, I mean, I guess they're coming for a bunch of different reasons, and you're like trying to sense what that reason is, and then why, what you can do to help them feel comfortable giving. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So you're meeting some of these people, you're talking to them. Yeah, it depends on on the level of their giving. Um, mm-hmm. The more you're giving, the more personalized that mm-hmm. experience yeah, is. Yeah, makes sense. What's the website address of this organization? ArenaStage.org. Let me have that one more time. ArenaStage.org. ArenaStage.org. We've been speaking with Kristen Mitchell, Senior Director of Individual Giving at ArenaStage.org. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Jenna Alexa, president of Dignari. Jenna, what is Dignari? What are you guys doing? Uh, We deliver security solutions using biometrics and emerging technologies. Uh Uh-huh. And how large or how small is this team? Just over 60 people. Just over 60 people. And where are you from originally? Uh, New Jersey, Asbury Park. Uh Uh-huh. How many brothers and sisters? Uh, Just one sister older. Uh Uh-huh. And uh, what were you doing 8 to 14 years old? Lots of different things. I was I was dancing. I was playing softball. Mm-hmm. Um, lots well, of performing arts stuff. What was your What was your role on the uh, softball team? Well, I, I played a lot of different positions. I, I played first base. I, I actually pitched for a bit, but I, I enjoyed being a catcher the most. So you played a lot of different. Why 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 were they giving you a lot of different positions, and what did you enjoy about catcher? Well, I, I mean, I played for quite a quite a few years, so that's why the different positions, but um, I was catcher, and I, I made the all-star team as catcher, and I worked very, very hard to make that team. It was pretty competitive, so, uh, I mean, but I like being kind of having some control over the outcome. Ah, you like to have control over the outcome. Okie dokie. Bill? So, so you also mentioned performing arts, mm-hmm. and, and uh, I understand you uh, choreographed a, a play when you were uh, 15, 16 years old. Tell me about that. Well, I mean, we, I was in a variety of different um, uh, plays, and uh, when I was about 16, I think it was, we were, uh, I was given the opportunity to choreograph the uh, school musical. So. Really? So, so does everyone do that? Is that easy? No, uh, well, it's not particularly easy. I mean, it wasn't Broadway either, but uh, <laughs> we, um, you know, it was something I wanted to have control over the outcome of kind of how well right. it went. Was so. it a big play? A lot of people? Um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was a school musical. What so. was involved in choreographing the school play when you were 15 or 16 years old? Well, we had to coordinate, you know. No, talk about I. I had to what? What did you have to do? Well, I, had to, I had to come up with the routines for the, for the different acts. So you had to figure out everybody's job description. I mean, role. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Does that have anything to do with what you're doing nowadays? Uh, sure, sure. Like what? Well, um... I mean, obviously, uh, we're a rapidly growing small company. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people with me for, you know, that I've worked with for the last 20 years, but we've been in business for five. Is it and possible one of the reasons they've been with you so long is because you figured out where they fit and what turns them on? Well, I think I surround myself with people that have different strengths than me, right? And, and along the years, we've all worked together, and, you know, you come, you come across people that have... So you're comfortable working with people that are better and different than you. Absolutely. I and think you're good at figuring out where they fit. It's the collective strength of the team that makes the best product. Is that what was going on with you choreographing this play when you were 15 or 16? I, I don't know about that, but it certainly helped me learn that along the way. Well, were there other kids that were 15 or 16 that were choreographing plays in your school? I, I don't know about that. Why'd they <laughs> ask you to do it? Um, I think I asked to do it. Uh, oh, boy, you really do like taking control of the team, don't you? <laughs> mm-hmm. Next question, who's got it? You said when you were 14, uh, you had a job as a waitress. Uh, actually, I started out as a, as a counter girl at the Homestead Restaurant in uh, Ocean Grove, New Jersey, which uh, was really a prep job, um, but I worked my way up to being a waitress over time and really uh, waited tables throughout college. So. And what did you learn from that? Um, I think everybody could benefit from being in the customer service industry. I think you learn about people. You learn about how to anticipate what people need, when to um when they, they want to be bothered and when they don't want to be bothered and, and also just dealing with all different types of people and, and making sure you get the best outcome. You know, I mean, I was working for tips, so, you know, you always want to make sure you maximize your uh, return on investment, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were your uh, favorite academic subjects? I was best in uh, probably math and mm-hmm. science, but I also really loved uh, art and other um, you know, artistic fields. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I think one of our colleagues here talked a little bit earlier about um, how math and, and creativity and, and coding kind of go together, and that's kind of what led me to being in the field that I'm in. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there was something that was going on with uh, cheerleading. What was going on with cheerleading? So this is an interesting story. So my mom and, and her sisters, um, you know, they grew up in a time they went to Catholic school where cheerleading was really the only option for them when it came to extracurricular activities and sports. And so they were a little bit disappointed when I decided that I really wanted to be a cheerleader. And, and what at the time maybe they didn't understand is that it was the most competitive um, activity for, for girls. I think, I think it was like 12 to 16 folks made the team mm-hmm. and uh, like 300 tried out. Uh-huh. And I made the team every year. But it was, you know, winning. So you was disappointed your mom and your aunt, you know, consistently year after year by trying out for they the were, team and getting there. Don't get me wrong. They were very proud of me. And I was involved uh-huh. in a lot of other things. I, still, I played field hockey. I still did softball, things uh-huh. like that. But, but they, um, I think they wanted to see me take advantage as a woman of all the things that I had available to me that they didn't have available to them. Uh-huh. But nonetheless, the reason you wanted to go out for the cheerleading was because you wanted to be competitive. You wanted I to wanted to be the best. What what are you talking about? You wanted to be the best. Well, you had to work very, very hard, and you had to put your head down, and and that's kind of my my parents always said, if you want the best outcome, you put your head down, you work hard, and by the way, that's going to give you the most confidence in yourself too, right? Uh, All right, so what's that have to do with building this business known as Dignari? Well, you know, I I didn't always know that I was going to start my own business. I I knew I was going to be successful. I used to tell my parents I was going to buy them a big beach house in Manilooking, New Jersey when I was a kid. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I um, but I think I you know I gained the confidence to start the business. Wait, 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 wait. How old were you when you were telling your parents this? Oh, I was like in junior high. Did you mean it? <laughs> of course, I meant it. Well, My dad well, still asks me when it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I you know you raised his expectations. I mean, you got to deliver what you sell. You were in the service business, weren't you? Yep. Mark, didn't you have a question about the family or something like that? Yeah, how important is uh, family to you? Tell me a little bit about your family. Well, I mean, it's it's everything. So, I mean, my, my parents always used to say, you know, your friends will come and go, but your family will always be here. And and uh, I am a grandchild and great-grandchild of uh, Irish and Italian immigrants. My great-grandmother on the Italian side had, had 12 kids. She lived to 109. They each had at least five kids. I've got so many cousins, and they all stayed pretty much in the same area, by the way. Well, what, what, what's your reputation amongst your cousins? I don't know. You have to ask them. <laughs> uh, what, what do you think they would tell me? I was in the, in the immediate family. I was one of the youngest on both sides. And so that was tricky. I had to really maneuver because um, I was, was the one getting left out, right? So they didn't realize who you were. Well, they, I, I think we're all still very close. So uh, Ah, good, Mark. Do your employees feel like uh, they're part of your family? Well, I will tell you that my business partner and I, um, I don't have a brother, but we always say he's like the closest thing I have to a brother because we really balance each other out. But we've, when he was going to start his own business, all of our mutual colleagues said, what on earth are you guys thinking? You guys need to get together because we, we have you know, these great strengths. And we, you know, we balance each other out in terms of our strengths and weaknesses. Well, how'd you learn how to work with somebody? If you didn't have a brother, how'd you know how to work with, uh, with a brother? I had 100 male cousins. <laughs> and the family was that close? Um, we're, we're pretty tight. Yeah. I mean, I, even my extended family. Yeah, absolutely. So because you were the youngest, you're comfortable from coming from behind. Maybe the reason you had the confidence competing as a cheerleader, you know, is you don't have to start off number one, but you know, you can compete to get there. Yeah. And my sister, I mean, my sister's very successful too. And, uh, you know, I was the little sister, so I was always looking up to her and, uh, trying to, you know, one upper. Uh huh. <laughs> That's interesting. That's for, it's fascinating. So, um, uh, so mom and dad are still around nowadays. Uh, unfortunately, my mom passed away. Uh, we lost her to cancer two years ago. Sorry to hear that. Um, so, has your dad been to your office? Uh, my dad has been very involved in being a uh, a mentor to me and in, in some mm-hmm. of the things. When that he I walks do. into your office, how do you think he feels? Well, we are, we are all virtual, so he doesn't walk into our office, actually. Uh-huh. So uh, we're all on client side. How's he too. feeling about your success? Um, I think he's very proud. I Why? Think. About what? Well, I, I think that he sees that uh-huh. all of the values he instilled with me. Perfect. What's the website address for Dignari? Dignari.com. How do you spell that? D-I-G-N-A-R-I. We've been speaking with Jenna Alexa, president of Dignari, here on Executive Leaders Radio. And your name is? Jeff Lawson. And Jeff, what organization are you with? I'm with Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And wh- what do you guys do? What kind of stuff are you doing that's special? Well, we manage uh, conference centers and hotels, and we're currently managing the National Conference Center in Leesburg, Virginia. National Conference Center. How large or how small is this organization? 
Um, the conference center itself is 900 rooms in size, 350,000 square feet of meeting space, dining facilities for 850, uh, exercise facility all set on 61 acres of land. Wow, this is a large organization, isn't it? It is, very large. Uh-huh. And what's your role in the organization? I'm the general manager, and I have oversight of the uh, property and all the hospitality services that occur. Well, wh- what's the general manager supposed to do with this large facility? Make sure I have a, make sure eight executive community members and a, and a full uh, staff of 210 do their daily jobs. So how many folks do you have running through your halls on a weekly basis or daily basis or annual basis? What's that look like? Well, on a weekly basis on a full house, we'll have uh, 900 per night, um, seven nights, uh, 6,300, which translates to about 20,000 meals a week. Wow. And uh, your job, are you working nine to five or do you end up having to work evenings and early mornings and weekends and stuff like that? No, I'd say I'm always on duty. Uh-huh. Do you, wh- what do you enjoy about your job? Meeting people, working with some of the finest hospitality people in Virginia, which is my team, and meeting our clients because they're wonderful. So you're helping your clients plan their events? Well, we help plan. Uh, they are there for some form of education that goes on at one end of our business, and at the other end of our business, they're there for social catering events, uh, weddings, and such. So you're you're, well, you're running a twenty-four by seven facility, aren't you? We are. Uh huh. What's the website address of this organization? Conferencecenter.com. Let me have that again. Conferencecenter.com. And your name again is Jeff Lawson. And the name of the organization? Lakota Hotels and Resorts. And this has been your business spotlight. I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. Uh, and what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet. The first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why did you do that? Well, the, the, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people and then who knows? the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh-huh. what's happening. So your idea, your, your thought is in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that I, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events through art uh, through a happy hour mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to come out of that mm-hmm. that's what's exciting so it's all about the people and you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization is this a nine to five kind of job oh, for you? hell no it's a lot longer uh-huh. than that baby so do you have to you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that sure sure let me have the website address of this sure, organization bid.com and, and you can download boston connect mobile app let me have uh, let me have that website address one more boston bid.com it's B-A, give me the spelling on that. B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. Excellent. Your name again is? Tina Leone. And the name of the organization? Is the Balsam Business Improvement District. And this has been your business spotlight back in a moment. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Jeremy Lundberg, CEO, and Raja Venkata, Director of Client Services of an organization known as Ethos CE Learning Management Systems. Uh, Jeremy, what is Ethos CE Learning Management Systems? Ethos CE um, is a learning management platform um, uh, that supports continuing education in the health professions. So we have about 75 um, Mm -hmm. leading medical associations and health systems. Cool. And how Um, large or how small is the organization? We have um, approximately 15 employees. All right. And where are you from originally? Carmel, New York. And uh, whose idea was this business? So I started actually the consulting company when I was doing um, uh, cancer research at mm-hmm. uh, Sloan Kettering. So you had the idea for this thing, huh? Yeah. How young were you when you started having ideas? Oh, well, um, pretty much all of my life I've always known that I was going to be an, an entrepreneur. Idea. Give me an idea of how young were you when you started having ideas or my started f- making money. My first business was when I was nine, mm-hmm. and it started out actually because of my father. 
Um, and he used to, my mom and dad used to always have um, a lot of dinner parties. Uh-huh. And he would sign me up, actually, to mow all of his friends' yards. Yeah. And so pretty soon, actually, I had 20 yards. Wait, wait, wait. How, how was, old were you when you were doing the 20 yards? Uh, probably I was nine. So how, how so at I the was, age of I was making bank. So yeah, at, the nice. age of, at the age of nine or 10, you're doing 20 lawns. That, you had to be pretty organized as a kid to do that, didn't you? I did, yes, particularly since I couldn't drive. Uh-huh. Wow. So you, uh, all right, Bill, what kind of questions you got there? Well, so, so your, your, your parents had, uh, were social, and, and your, your father sort of influenced you to get into doing lawns. So how about your mother? Tell, tell me a little about her. Yeah, so she was a music teacher, could play about 16 different instruments, went to Princeton, and then realized that seven, uh, seventh graders did not want to go to music class. So she changed careers and um, became a computer programmer and ran Pepsi's data warehouse for about 26 years. Um, was one of their one of their managers. That's fascinating. Did 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 she get you involved with computers then? She introduced me actually to my first computer. I think it was actually using BASIC. And but what I started to realize is that as she introduced me to it, I kind of took off on it. Um, and you know, to me. And she explained this to me one day, and it's true because I also play guitar and very involved in music. And it made me, you know, she said to me, coding is like music. And when she said that to me, it totally changed my whole perspective on it. Um, So, you know, later on in life when the Internet came out, I taught myself how to code because I was solving some problems for some uh, of our cancer patient community. Mm and so, yeah, it was very influential. So, so how how is how is coding like music? Um, it's got a rhythm to it. Um, it's kind of like a symphony. It's kind of how I think about it. D- does it just naturally start, or, or is it is it a jumble or a mess or something that you gotta um, deal with? In the first times, it you know probably in the early years it was, um, but for me, it really. It, it seemed very natural mm-hmm. um, because I also I really wasn't good at at reading music, but I could play guitar by ear, mm-hmm. virtually any any song I wanted gotcha. to. Mark, um, so you had an interesting childhood. What did you see from that perspective yourself doing as an adult? I always knew I was going to be a psychotherapist, psychologist, um, and but I also knew I was also going to be an, an entrepreneur, um, and so. Um, I worked, I did a fellowship in psychiatry and, and surgery. How, at how, did you know, how did you know you were going to be a, uh, an entrepreneur? Uh, basically from the lawn business. Uh, and also the psychology part also came into, is an interesting story, is, is that my parents dared me to learn how to play Stairway to Heaven. And if I did, I would get my first electric guitar. So I did. And they were not happy about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you, so you, uh, so you were learning how to negotiate, how uh-huh. people work, how you know, um, what people's, you know, how to interact with people, how to understand their strengths, you know, weaknesses in conversations and so uh-huh. forth. Raja, how long have you guys been working together? Eight years. And uh, when you started working with Jeremy, what was your role in the organization? More of a developer, business analyst. A developer and a business analyst. And what are you doing nowadays? Uh, sales and business development, doing sales presentations. H- how did the developer end up in sales? What ended up happening there? What, the what happened? So I, I think it's all about the environment that the company is in, which uh, and Jeremy and the leadership promotes creativity and good work ethics. And that allowed me to be truly creative and expand and learn more about myself. Did Jeremy help you appreciate stuff about yourself that you didn't originally appreciate? A lot. In fact, he was the one who said, um, maybe I should try full-time sales. Wait, wait, wait. So how, how, how did that happen? One day did he walk into your office and make this big announcement to you, or was it slow but sure? What, what, what happened there? So I think he, we were. I was initially into a little bit of more of project management, and then organically it, anal- it happened that customers used to give us more business when I was leading the project. And that's when he said, you seem to be liking what you do. And then he said, let's just you know try out a couple of sales meetings. And then those went really well, and that's how he transition me into business development. Why, why would the customers, when you were the project manager, why would the customers give you more business? Because I think I tend to relate to people and my background in math uh, and teaching allowed me to communicate in a way that people understand. 
your background in math and what? And teaching. My mom, my mom is a math teacher, uh-huh. and uh, I used to teach kids, uh, high school kids, when I was in twelve. Wait, 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 I got a question for you. How young were you? How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have three sisters, elder. What did you learn from your sisters about sales? I think more about how be, being amicable and uh, being nice to everyone gets things done. Because I always used to get a large pie of the cake every time. <laughs> and and uh, wait, 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 and these are three older sisters? Correct. So you learned what about business from your three older sisters? I think how to get work done with people who are elder to you and being nice to them. And being nice to people always has its own rewards. And you think that relates to your role in sales? Correct, because I think identifying with people's needs and giving them exactly what they want will help in business development. Huh, and Jeremy spotted that in you, even though you were starting off as a developer. Correct. Uh Uh-huh, so you got a pretty close working relationship with Jeremy, huh? We do, yep. He does the initial pitch, and then I take it from there, and then both of us pretty much close the sale. Huh, how about that? So, uh, you guys seem to be in sync with your personal values. How do those relate to the company values? So what we try to do is is that I personally believe that as I've gotten older that leadership does not equate to taking credit. It's actually allowing people to make their own decisions that work for you um, and granted providing guidance, you know, and um, conversations. Um, and that's the environment that we wanted to create. I mean, we have very little turnover at our company. Most of the people have been with us for eight to 10 years in our 17 year history. Um, our clients stay with us. Very few of our clients ever leave. Um, and so, you know, our, my personal goals for the, the, the company is always to advance, reduce barriers to advancing patient care at the end of the day. And I believe that the equation to that is uh, or a key component of that is educating healthcare providers on the latest advances in medicine and science. What what do you learn from your clients? Oh, everything. I mean, you know, who stakeholders are, how politics work, every organization is different. So how you position things, um, you know, what works, what doesn't. We also have a huge user community around our software. And so listening to them, we spend a lot of time listening, and that informs our product roadmap. So it may not just be what we want to do with the software, but it's also what they would like to see us to do and what obstacles, challenges, what's working, what's not working, best practices, and allowing them to have a forum to have that level of communication. So you're really connected to your clients in the markets, and you're certainly open to adopting whatever the needs are and what's, Absolutely. what's coming. Absolutely. It's interesting. I, I, so when I, you, you mentioned earlier you were doing something with surgery? Yeah, I did my uh, research fellowship in Sloan Kettering um, in psychiatry and surgery. So and what's that have to do with your business nowadays? Uh, th- well, just like, you know, human interactions, right? So, you know, psychology is whether you're, you know, whether you're working with human beings or how human beings interact or interface with computers is very similar um, but also too is is that you know the patients that I worked with um, my colleagues they just taught me so much about life so your nature is not to stand up front and pound your chest I mean in terms of the team it sounds like your role is to try to develop your people it sounds to me like uh, your role with your clients is to really understand what their needs are and try to serve them you're not you're not a boisterous kind of individual are you no I was when I was younger but um, as I've, you know, matured and um, developed, as Roger said, is that you don't get anywhere yelling at people. What do you mean? Um, understanding and listening is much more important and will get you much farther than actually screaming and trying to be the top dog. Mm, by asking the right questions? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. What's the website address of this organization? It's ethosce.com, and that's E-T-H-O-S-C-E.com. And you're in the business of education. Medical education, yes. So fundamentally, it's your philosophy about don't stand up front, rather ask the right questions, deliver the information in the best possible. It's what your business is really all about. Same thing as your management philosophy, isn't it? Absolutely. All right, let me have the website address one last time. Ethosce.com, and that's E T H O S 
ethosce.com. We've been with Jerry Lumberg and Raja Benkata uh, from Ethos CE Learning Systems. And your name is? Chuck Ockeltree. And Chuck, what organization are you with? The National Conference Center and West Belmont Place Event Center. Uh-huh. And what makes this organization special? The National Conference Center was built um, to be the nation's premier uh, meeting and event venue. Um, it's not a traditional hotel. Mm-hmm. So even though we have 900 guest rooms and all the services and amenities of a traditional hotel, mm-hmm. because of our size, mm-hmm. we're able to uh, deliver um, an environment that is very conducive to uh, learning, development. And who are your clients? Our clients are uh, many of the, the corporate 100, corporate 500, as well as uh, because of our location in Leesburg, Virginia, mm-hmm. we do a lot of business with Washington, D.C. Uh, government agencies. Mm-hmm. And what do you like about your job? What I like about uh, is we've had the opportunity to bring new leadership to the National Conference Center, blend with the tremendous service team that's built a reputation over the years uh, for great service. And uh, we've had a lot of fun um, helping our clients take advantage of the 65-acre campus. How about you personally? What, what do you enjoy about your job? I enjoy that, that we've uh, had a very, very, very successful turnaround in mm-hmm. uh, the two and a half years, mm-hmm. uh, taking the National Conference Center uh, from where it was in mm-hmm. 2014 with Excellent. the new, new ownership. We've literally doubled the revenue. And what's, so. your, what's your role in the organization again? Uh, my role is Chief Marketing Officer. And what's that mean? It, good question. It means that uh, uh, we're involved with branding, mm-hmm. uh, everything to do with the sales, the marketing, the promotion, and um, the business development. So you're actually going out there and you're actually involved with helping bring in the clients. Exactly, yes. And sir. I guess the way you're doing that is you're actually talking to a lot of the clients, making sure that you know your services are valuable. We talk to a lot of the clients and we do a lot of uh, events what's as well. What's the website address of the organization? www.conferencecenter.com. Let me have that one more time www.conferencecenter.com. This has been your business spotlight. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. And Ray, what organization are you with? Life Sciences Conference Group. And what is Life Sciences Conference Group? What do you folks do? We produce annual conferences and events for medical technology, life science, pharmaceutical companies. Uh-huh. So if I go to an event, you're the folks that are working behind the scenes to make it happen? That's correct. We're yeah. the ones that make sure the food's on the table, the seats are there, soundstage and lights are there, your registration process works. And and what kind of events are these? Are these just in the life science industry? Strictly in the life science industry. Why why do you focus on the life science industry? Uh, We found that the best way to produce a high-quality event is to really know your customer. So we don't believe in numbers. It's names. We get to know each company. We find out what their actual mission and goals are, and we find the best way to deliver the value to them. And are you doing this nationally or regionally? We do it nationally. We continue to look for international opportunities, but it's primarily here in North America. And how old is this company? Uh, the company has just finished its 10th year. And how long have you been with the company? I founded the company 10 years ago. What gave you the idea to start this company? I used to work for a big corporation, and I produced the annual event for us. And when I decided to leave, they said, thank you for giving us $150 million worth of a business, and we'll see you later. Mm-hmm. And next time I decided I would keep some ownership and do it myself. Ah, so you've been, building, you've been building this ever since. What do you like about your job? I like how different it is because we mix policy, we mix business. I might be putting one CEO together with a politician. I might be putting another CEO together with an investor. Mm-hmm. And I might be putting the next person together with their next employee. How interesting. Well, what's the website address for this organization? Medtechconference.org. Let me have that one more time. Medtechconference.org. Org. And the name of the organization again is? A Life Sciences Conference Group. Life Sciences Conference Group. And your name is? Ray Briscuso. Ray Briscuso. We've been talking to Ray Briscuso, CEO and managing partner of Life Sciences Conference Group here on Executive Leaders Radio. This has been your business spotlight. One help building your business with help from the show's CEOs. Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you've ser- you're serious about your success, serious about your own success. 
because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen, and we'd like to introduce Edgar Doble, who is the executive director of Arena Stage. Edgar, what is Arena Stage? What are you guys doing? Arena Stage is a 70-year young theater production company that uh, has a big facility down on the waterfront in uh, southwest D.C. We play to about 300,000 people a year, produce 10 shows, and have a very, very active, far-reaching education program into the Mm -hmm. community. And where are you from originally? I'm a Canadian by birth, grew up on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And how many brothers and sisters? I'm the third of six boys. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was going on with you 8 to 14 years old? I was blessed to be given an opportunity in my really tiny community to get involved in building a theater. How young were you? Powerhouse Theater. I was uh, 11, 12 years old. And how did you get involved with that? I had an invitation from uh, my drama teacher to turn up uh, at the... uh, Uh And were you playing any sports at that time? I was a hockey player. And what was your role in the hockey team? Well, I was a a good hockey player. I was a defenseman for my age group's uh, all-star team. Would that really be the characterization of who you were or what was, you know, who, who are you really? Who were you really back then? I, you know, I was not, uh, as it turns out, a hockey player. Mm -hmm. I was uh, a theater producer. What do you, what do you mean a theater producer? What are you talking about? Well, the experience over the, from uh, from 12 to graduating from high school is that by the time I graduated, we had built a 200-seat a uh, theater that was producing five shows a year to sold-out audiences, and I had played a number of roles, acting, lighting designer, but the thing that I enjoyed the most was getting to pick the plays that were going to be put on in front of the audience. So you understood, well, you really understand producing and running a theater. Mark, what are you thinking? So what, what brought you comfort as a, as a child and adolescent? For me, uh, it was, uh, this gets personal, but that's what, uh, that's what theater and storytelling is all about. It was uh, making sure that my, uh, that my brother Donald, uh, who had cerebral palsy, was living a very full and active and engaged life in the community. So it was very important for me that he was in the front row of anything I was producing. Why, why, why was that important to you? Because um, uh, theater is about, is about empathy. It's about, it's about sharing stories. It's about using the greatest invention we have as human beings, which is language. And every member of the community should be available in part and have that, that, uh, that experience uh, offered up to them. Wow. You know, that's, All right. that's what motivates me. Uh, Mark, didn't you have some other questions yeah, what, there? What uh, literary or film character uh, do you identify most with? Well, you know, if you can't afford to go to business school, you should just watch all three of the Godfather movies once a year. That's, uh, that's what I do. I do it with my son, and um, th- there are many, many lessons to be learned in that particular story. What's a, what's a uh, pick one lesson? One lesson is um, the centrality of family and in, in the fact that you can't escape your upbringing. Mm-hmm. Bill, so, what do you, so what do you think? Yeah, that's, a, that's actually a great segue. So tell me a little bit more about how that theme applied to you and your siblings and your family as a child. Well, you know, I had a mother who was a union organizer. Um, you know, she had six boys at home, and one, the, the eldest was, uh, was severely handicapped. But she, she told us that, uh, you know, in order to remain sane, outside of the family, she had to find a way to engage uh, with the community, and that was through a union movement. My father was a small businessman, and uh, I, learned, I learned a lot about negotiating just around the, uh, the dinner table at night when my mother was actually able to get back for dinner. 
we well, imagine that's complex with a with a large family. It is. It was very complex. Um, what do you, what do you mean? We managed to negotiate our way through it. What do, you, what do you mean you learn about negotiation around the dinner table? What are you talking about? Well, you have a husband and wife. Uh, you have uh, a, a, a certain expectation that uh, the wife is going to be providing certain things, like uh, three square meals a day. And uh, and uh, and uh, as a as a family, we took on the responsibility of uh, of a handicapped older brother who had a who had the the pride of place at the table so so we had to we had to negotiate around just how you get through the day how you get through um so it sounds as opposed to fighting or getting angry as opposed to acting out and being irresponsible it sounds like your empathy really drew you really draws you am i correct about that that's 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 true it's a part of part of what my job is is to is to um, to to make sure that we've got 132 employees that are involved in producing you know, you know over 500 performances and events a year, and uh, wait, 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 wait. give me that again. 132 employees. How many events? Uh, we do 500 performances or events a year. That's we 10 a week. We engage uh, 300 artists in doing that. Oh so my gosh! Talk so it about is, uh, it's you, you know, wow. it requires it requires the precision of of knowing what you're hoping to accomplish every day. What we produce is perishable. It relies on uh, artists. It relies on technicians. It relies on uh, audience showing up and being prepared to engage and give us their undivided attention for two or three hours a day. You know? What do you, What do you like best about your job? Um, I love the impossibility of it. Yeah, and the fact that wow. every every day is new, every performance is new, every and and then and we're given this opportunity pr to produce ten pick ten stories that that will resonate with an audience, and uh, if they don't, you know, every 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 day is a performance review for me. Oh my gosh, you're constantly under the microscope. You're constantly having to perform. You're constantly having to produce, aren't you? We are, and and uh, we are uh, we. We, we hold this institution in trust for the community as well. So there is a 40-member board of directors as well. And it sounds like your brother really had a major influence on your life, on your empathy, on your ability to understand other people, to take responsibility, to work as part of a team, to avoid conflict. Am I that, right about that? That's, that's all very true. And, and uh, that was uh, largely learned from how my parents parented us as kids. What do you mean? That they... Um, they didn't hide. They didn't step away from responsibilities. They took an opportunity in the community to to um, make sure that that everyone knew that their firstborn was mm -hmm. had a life, had a full life. He had a life expectancy. Wow. The doctors told us was wow. twelve years, you and he lived to be fifty-five. You really, you really stepped up. You step up every day. Every day. What, what is the website address of this organization known as Arena Stage? Arena Stage. Org. Let me have that one more time. ArenaStage.org. Uh, Mark, can you give us a rundown on who we've had the opportunity of speaking with today, please? Sure. Uh, we had Virgil Virgo, president and co-founder of Metronome. Uh, Jenna Alexa, president of Dignari. Jeremy Lundberg, CEO, and Raja Venkata, director of client services for Ethos CE Learning. And Edgar Doby, executive director for Arena Stage. Excellent. I would like to thank my co-host, Mr. Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, and Bill Baben, Chessie Cap, for giving me a hand structure to the questions. He'll be providing our listening audience an educational and entertaining show. Bill, what is the website address for Chessie Cap? Sure, it's chessiecap.com. That's C-H-E-S-S-I-E-C-A-P.com. And Mark, your website address? enterprisegrowth.org enterprisegrowth.org this is Herb Cohen for Executive Leaders Radio don't forget to visit our website executiveleadersradio.com learn more about our executive leaders thank you for joining us today and have a nice day bye bye thank you for tuning in you've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders we hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM you can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM that's Executive Leaders radio.com.